part one of the night the mountain fell the story of the montana yellowstone earthquake this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by david wales the night the mountain fell the story of the montana yellowstone earthquake by edmund christopherson part one real shook august is a busy month in the exciting mountain vacation area that centers in west yellowstone montana and includes yellowstone national park the restored ghost town of virginia city the nationally famous trout fishing reach of madison canyon that runs through the gallatin national forest plus dude ranches and lakes in the parts of montana wyoming and idaho where the three states come together geologically it is a new area where enormous forces are still thrusting up mountains where volcanic craters still exist and where the heat of the earth still spouts its imprisoned fury through the geysers that have made yellowstone park's firehole basin famous at eleven thirty seven p m on monday august seventeenth nineteen fifty nine one of the severest earthquakes recorded on the north american continent shook this area it sent gigantic tidal waves surging down the seven mile length of hebgen lake throwing an enormous quantity of water over the top of hebgen dam the way you can slosh water out of a dishpan still keeping it upright this water described as a wall twenty feet high swept down the narrow madison canyon full of campers and vacationers who were staying in dude ranches and at three forest service campgrounds along the seven-mile stretch from the dam to the point where the canyon opened up into rolling wheat and grazing land just about the time this surge of water reached the mouth of the canyon half of a seven thousand six hundred foot high mountain came crashing down into the valley and cascaded like water up the opposite canyon wall hurtling house-sized quartzite and dolomite boulders onto the lower portion of rock creek campground this slide dammed the river and forced the surging water carrying trees mud and debris back into the campground the campers who had escaped being crushed under part of the forty four million cubic yards eighty million tons of rock found themselves picked up and thrown against trees cars trailers the side of the canyon etc heavy four thousand pound cars were tossed forty feet and smashed against trees by the force of the ricocheting water and the near hurricane velocity wind created by the mountain fall other cars were scrunched to suitcase thickness and thrown out from under the slide and the water stayed held by the earthquake caused natural dam it began to flood the lower end of the canyon at the upper end big sections of the road that would take the three hundred people trapped in the canyon to safety crumpled and fell into hebgen lake cutting them off from the world outside when the quake hit summer alternate rangers fred tim and lamont herbold were on duty at the west yellowstone entrance of yellowstone national park they had just cleared a semi-load of presto logs as the truck pulled on through the gate the plywood gatehouse shook so violently with the lights flashing off and on that herbold shouted 
Stop the truck, you blank. You've hooked the shack. Truck drivers Jack and Lyle Tuttle thought the frantic way their truck was flopping around meant the motor had broken loose from the mounts. Driving into the park, they were halted by huge rocks blocking the road. Renewed shaking, with tons more rocks rolling down the mountainside, sent them scurrying for the cover behind trees. Lyle took refuge in a tree, where he later said the shaking seemed twice as rough. When the quaking stopped briefly, they turned the truck around and were happy to get out before more boulders blocked their exit. In the confusion that followed, when the first shock hit, Jerry Yetter, who operates the Duck Creek cabins near West Yellowstone, jumped out of bed and knocked on all the cabin doors to warn the occupants of the quake. Only after he'd finished the job did he realize that he was wearing no clothes at all. His wife, Iris, ran onto the front porch. The porch dropped into the basement. She climbed out, got into the car, and didn't stop until she reached Bozeman, ninety miles to the north. Just west of the Duck Creek junction of Highways 1 and 191, the first shocks wakened Roland Whitman as it sent dishes and furniture crashing to the floor. When he couldn't reach his wife's folks in West Yellowstone, ten miles south, by phone, he rushed his wife Margaret and their six children into the car, started out, and immediately crashed over a thirteen-foot drop-off scarp that the quake had jutted up between his home and the highway. On the night of the quake, Mrs. Grace Miller, a widow who in her seventies is still sprightly enough to run single-handed the Hillguard Fishing Lodge cabin and boat rentals on the north shore of Hebgen Lake, found herself suddenly wakened about midnight. She didn't know what was happening, but she felt she had to get out of the house. She threw a blanket around herself, the door was jammed, and she had to kick to get it open. Outside the door she saw a big five-foot crevice. As she leaped across it, the house dropped from under her into the lake. More crevices kept opening in the moonlit ground as she walked away from the lake. Rabbits were skedaddling in every which direction, she said, but her Malamute dog Sandy was so frightened he wouldn't even notice them. After quite a spell of hiking in the nightmare-like night, she found refuge, along with about forty other people, at Kirkwood Ranch, which itself was considerably damaged, but a safe distance from the lake. She was safe there, while next day skin-divers, alerted by worried friends, searched her floating house for her body. Later next day, she boated past her nine-room home, which contained everything she owned, floating on the lake. I hope it stays upright, she said. My teeth are still on the kitchen counter right next to the sink. When she arrived at the dam, she greeted an acquaintance with, I've been a pretty tough old bird, but I wouldn't want to go through that again. In a forest fire lookout on top of 10,300-foot-high Mount Holmes in Yellowstone Park, the first shock threw Penn State College student David Bittner out of his bunk. "'By golly, they'll believe me this time,' he said, with satisfaction, as he picked himself up off the floor. Several days earlier, he'd phoned a report of substantial tremors, but no one would take his report seriously. Charles Godkin, chef at the Frontier, and his wife Ruth, a waitress, were driving home at 11.37. "'We must have a flat,' she said, as the car thumped and shook along the road. 
when godkin got out to look the ground was bucking so strenuously that he could hardly stand up back at the frontier he found steak plates all over the floor in the establishment's walk-in freezer he found the floor covered with mayonnaise a foot deep at the emmett j culligan place dubbed the blarney stone ranch the santa barbara water softener tycoon spent hundreds of thousands of dollars building a refuge from the possibility of atomic attack ironically the main fault of the earthquake rammed through one end of his building cement block foundation raising the ground fifteen feet twisting and cracking the whole one hundred and fifty foot length of the building ironically too culligan's spread was perhaps the only one reputed to be covered by earthquake insurance his caretaking family john and doris russell were trapped in their cottage and had to crawl out and pass their children through a chin-high fifteen-inch square window at the proud dude ranch parade rest where bud and lou morris capitalize on the area's superb fishing the shock toppled chimneys atop the massive log buildings and sent the guests scurrying outdoors huddled around a huge campfire in the courtyard where it seemed safer they felt bewildered and helpless as the ground continued to heave and writhe throughout the night for hours the shock continued at the rate of one every minute by morning the kitchen was a shambles like a cabin a grizzly bear had worked over dishes flour everything crashed to the floor the only thing to do was to clean it up with a broom and shovel lou morris said elsewhere throughout the earthquake area crockery and goods in glass containers were at a premium drug stores bars groceries were shard piled shambles after the quake the proprietor of the antique shop next to the west yellowstone post office took one look at the disheartening spectacle of his shop and took off the shop floor was strewn with a fortune in broken antique glass and dishware the ground just got up and bucked like a horse one west yellowstone citizen put it the only man who was enthusiastic about the earthquake from the start was geologist irving j whitkind of the u s geological survey who was living in a trailer on a rise to the north of hebgen lake above the culligans and parade rest while he surveyed and mapped the area when the first shock hit he figured his trailer had somehow broken loose and was rolling down the hill he charged out intent on stopping it from the way the trees were swaying in the absence of any wind he knew it was a genuine earthquake he hopped in his jeep and headed down toward the lake he saw the scarp that the whitmans soared off just in time to stop it's mine it's mine he shouted as he got out of the jeep and realized the full measure of his fortune his words will echo wherever geologists gather in years to come professionally his once-in-a-thousand-lifetime fortune in being on the scene of a major quake meant as much as discovering an unfound pharaoh's tomb would to an egyptologist at mammoth the old army post which is still headquarters for yellowstone park superintendent lon garrison was sitting up in bed reading when the quake hit his wife and daughter were watching tv when the big chimneys and rocks from the massive old nineteen o nine built masonry buildings began crashing through the porches and roofs we got out and fast we prided ourselves on being cool 
it wasn't for an hour or so that i remembered that i was still wearing my park service uniform coat over pajama pants every time there was a new tremor the coyotes abundant thereabouts would let out a fresh howl the phone lines to old faithful and west yellowstone weren't working the quake had taken them out the eighteen thousand people who were overnighting in the park when the quake began were on the edge of panic what can we do how can we get word out can we get out everyone wanted answers to these questions at once at old faithful eight hundred people were in the recreation hall enjoying a college talent program in the best entertainment tradition the m c played it cool continuing his patter while the park rangers opened the doors everyone exited in good order but there was to be little comfort that night everyone who'd made it to bed got up after the first shock at the massive log-built old faithful inn the timbers gave out loud creaking and popping noises as the structural torment continued we had to evacuate the building superintendent garrison said hot water from a broken pipe in the attic was running down the floor of the east wing half an hour later the fireplace and chimney crashed through the dining-room floor activating the sprinkler system the water damage was horrible a few hours earlier with the dining-room full the casualty list would have been gruesome as it was our only casualty was a woman who sprained her ankle leaping out of bed after the first tremor later in the week a ranger exhausted from quake duty skidded on a rain slick pavement and went off the road we feel that god had his arms around us all the way the quake continued with special violence at old faithful evacuees from the inn sat out the night wrapped in hotel blankets in their cars and in the big distinctive yellowstone park company buses trembling with fear at each new quake at the new canyon village guests were reassured by the big-voiced man who in the midst of the turmoil marched up to the reservations desk and demanded accommodations for an additional two nights canyon too was the place where they say another guest left a note on his pillow for the chambermaid saying an awfully rough bear stayed under my cabin last night had an awfully hard time sleeping better tell the night man to do something about it as the shocks continued the summons to exodus was clear quake broken roads blocked all the exits from west yellowstone except the route one ninety one through idaho south to pocatello for the rest of the night it was bright with the lights of cars streaming away from the earthquake country to the solid security and comfort of the outside world. Trapped For trailer and tent campers, attractive Rock Creek Campground, less than a mile from the mouth of Madison Canyon, was a favored site, so much so that it was full most of the summer season campers who pulled into the canyon too late to find campsites in the formal or improved area just pulled off the road and overnighted on any level spot they could find along the road two vacationing families the osts and the fredericks felt lucky when they found adjacent campsites at rock creek on monday august seventeenth 
rev elmer ost who teaches psychology at biblical seminary in new york city and doubles as pastor at bethany congregational church in corona queens his wife ruth youngsters larry fourteen geraldine thirteen joan eleven and shirley six had been enjoying a leisurely camping vacation in the northwest the melvin fredericks family he's a biscuit salesman for b and b from elyria ohio included mrs laura melva sixteen paul fifteen and george whitmore fifteen who lives with the fredericks in elyria ohio while his folks are missionarying in brazil the two families met in columbia falls montana at the home of rev ralph werner who was a relative of the fredericks and a college chum of the osts they both toured glacier national park and were headed for yellowstone park and the black hills and decided to camp together the next night ost told fredericks that if you don't make it to yellowstone park before noon the campsites would all be filled but he knew of camping areas in the madison canyon near west yellowstone and not too far outside the park where they'd be more likely to find room the osts got to rock creek campground at six o'clock monday august seventeen found a site and stationed larry by the road to stop the fredericks the two families chose a small open area near the stream and pleasant evergreen trees at the east end of the camp near the entrance they set up camp, ate together, socialized, and made plans to get up at six o'clock next morning, breakfast on dry cereal, and get an early start for Yellowstone. They swapped stories about their vacation, joked about the bear that was supposed to be scavenging around the campground, and decided to walk down to the highway where they'd be away from the trees and able to see the moon which lit the mountain behind them but the mountain that looked high in the south side of the canyon kept them from seeing the moon directly they turned in early at nine o'clock the two younger os girls mildly concerned about the bear decided to sleep in the car a nineteen fifty buick larry and geraldine and their parents all slept in their tent mrs fredericks and melva slept in their station wagon while the men stretched out in a tent Everyone was nicely settled at 11.37 when a thunder-like commotion outside awakened them. Ruth and Jerry Ost shouted something about bears as they jumped out of the tent. "'It's a cyclone!' Mrs. Ost was screaming in half-awakened terror as Reverend Ost emerged from the tent. The sky was clear, the moon bright, as Reverend Ost looked up and to the west. There were no clouds or wind.' but terror ran through the whole party as they saw tents swaying trees shaking as though torn in a violent wind then the aust's 1950 buick began to rock from front to rear as if men were jumping energetically on the bumpers the brake lights went on as one of the girls jumped on the brake then came a tremendous roar like several express trains passing through the camp the trees shut off their view of the huge seven thousand six hundred foot mountain falling of the huge boulders big as houses hurling down one side of the canyon and up the other a mile away throwing sparks and dust as they fell reverend ost sensed the rushing of the wind and water trapped by the avalanching mountain and thrown back at the dazed campers at tornado speeds from under the slide 
Hang on to a tree, he shouted. Mrs. Ost ran for the car as she saw the wave of water coming. Larry was caught in the tent when the wall of water, mud, and trees hit them with such violence that it crumpled trailers and hurled the Ost's 4,000-pound car 30 feet and smashed it against a row of trees. Although Mrs. Ost was holding on to the steering wheel, the violence of the surging water threw her against the side of the car so violently that it made a pulp out of the right side of her face. In the midst of the mud, water, and floating and flying debris, Larry managed to tear his way out of the tent. Dust from the slide obscured the moon and heightened the sense of tragedy and terror. The tent was gone. The deluge of water had jammed cars and trailers together. The rocks had covered the side of a trailer where a family had been playing earlier in the day. The night rang out with the bewildered crying out for lost relatives. Stunned like the others, Reverend Ost shouted for Fran. After hitting the brake pedal, she jumped out of the car and scampered like a deer to higher ground. He found Jerry unharmed except for being wet and an injury to her hand. Sloshing through the water to his knees, he found Ruth still in the car. After several minutes hunting and shouting Larry, he found his son, soaked, clad only in shorts. The screams of the lost and losing continued. A woman handed a baby to Melva Frederick, saying, Comfort him. One dazed man walked around, crying out for his missing wife. From the wet and dark came the cry of another woman calling out, It's safe here, hoping to attract someone to help or keep her company. The Ost women and Mrs. Frederick struggled to higher, safer ground. When the Frederick's men didn't show up, Ost left the women praying while he went to look for them. He heard Mr. Frederick's call for help for his son Paul. With a flashlight he borrowed, he was able to see the difficulty. The surge of water and trees had caught 15-year-old Paul and pinioned him in a sitting position in the water, with one log across the small of his back and another across his lap. The ends of the log were jammed between a smashed trailer and the Ost car so solidly they wouldn't budge. Paul cried out with pain as the two men tried to pull him loose. The water kept rising as the men tried to pry the logs apart with sticks. A two-by-twelve plank, ten feet long, even though full of spikes, seemed a promising tool to pry with, but with it they were only able to gain an inch or so further separation of the logs that held Paul prisoner. The men felt Paul's and their own helpless panic as the water swelled up to his chest, his neck, his chin. Raised in a soundly religious family, Paul bravely faced the realization that he was gasps from death. In desperation, Ost called on Mel Fredericks to pull as hard as he could, not to care if Paul cried or if they pulled his arms or legs out of joint. In this last desperate straining try, they found that miraculously they could raise him six inches. The rising water had buoyed the trailer. In their next few feverish tries, they were able to pull him loose and helped him to walk to high, dry ground. One stranded group, calling for help, included a wheelchair case, and mucking shoeless through the water, they portaged him out, chair and all. George Whitmore had a badly injured eye from running into a rope, and it looked like it might lose its sight. They all moved to the highway, which was still dry. 
a motley crew they were in pajamas or almost unclothed some shoeless by this time the water had covered their cars some of the wounded were taken by car toward hebgen dam away from the slide marooned without their cars in a strange shaking canyon prisoners of a night in which everything seemed mad somehow word reached them that their ordeal might not be over there was possibility that a dam several miles upstream which they'd never seen was likely to give away any minute they scrambled up the sagebrush hillside and built a fire on a level and fairly open site others joined the two families one group whose car hadn't been flooded so suddenly managed to save groceries a camp stove sleeping bags pans and a nine by twelve foot plastic tarp without worrying about modesty they dried themselves around the fire there were seventeen in the party it cleared and then clouds obscured the moon the ground kept shaking with almost every new tremor came sparks and puffs of dust and the terrifying crashing echoes of another avalanche across the valley and the realization that the valley side above them might go any time the air was full of dust and the sickening smell of mud and torn fir trees all through the night they heard the haunting cries of help help we're freezing from the grover malts who'd been marooned on top of their trailer and by this time were hanging on to a tree they worried about forest fires and sang hymns to keep up their courage at three a m there was a thunderstorm and a light continuing rain they huddled under the plastic tarp all twenty-one of them and wondered what would happen next an elderly couple the grover c malts a seventy-two-year-old retired decorator and his wife lillian sixty-eight of temple city california had parked their trailer at the scenic rock creek campground for a week before the especially beautiful bright moonlit night of august seventeenth there were lots of bears in the area and like many other campers when the first jolt hit them they figured that the bears were trying to get into their trailer no it must be an earthquake mrs malt said looking out through the trailer window the moon made it seem like daylight everything was going upside down an instant later their trailer was tossed end over end landing miraculously on its wheels then it seemed as though something picked the trailer up and hurled it into the water malt got his nighty-clad missus out of the trailer and lifted her on top and went back into the trailer to get sweaters or something it suddenly turned dark the moon disappeared in dust the water had risen to malt's chin by the time he got out of the trailer by the time he'd crawled on the trailer roof put on trousers a shirt and sweater and wrapped clothing around his wife's legs the water was beginning to cover the trailer roof and rising fast they prayed that the trailer would drift toward a nearby tree it did the first branch broke as Malt grabbed it. He barely had time to get one arm around the tree and hold on to his wife with the other when the trailer was swept out from under them. It was horrible, he said. As I tried to pull the missus up, the limbs kept breaking off. I tried to grab higher limbs and cling to the missus with my legs. The limbs still kept breaking off. Finally, we found a limb that would hold. We were surrounded by deep water. Through the night we hollered and hollered for help. 
people tried to get to us with ropes couldn't reach us and yelled that we should hang on they were going for a boat while we struggled to hold on we could see the mountains sliding and falling every few minutes there'd be a terrific roar followed by more slides i thought the world was coming to an end it turned hazy with thunder lightning then began to rain as we clung to the tree with water up to our necks my wife slipped under three or four times the last time she was gasping for breath i managed to pull her out let me go and save yourself she begged if you go i'll go too i told her about eight or eight thirty in the morning they came for us in a boat it was just in time we couldn't have held out for another ten minutes the water was rising so fast that the rescuers had to move their truck three times before they could unload the boat at first when rescued we could see lights then everything went black we couldn't hear anything over the roar of the tumbling mountains we were froze stiff from hanging on so long we couldn't move our legs the men had to help us get into the boat in contrast to those who stood around and wondered was l d smith of greeley colorado who with his family was camped in a trailer at the beaver creek campground a couple of miles downstream from hebgen dam the loud noise and rumbling woke him outside the trailer he found the water rising the ground was shaking violently he didn't know what was causing it but his first thought was that the dam had broken the steep-walled canyon didn't seem like a safe place for his family as soon as the shaking subsided temporarily he loaded his wife and two youngsters into the car and drove away from the dam the collapse of which he instinctively felt was the greatest danger as fast as he could a mile or two before he reached the slide he ran into heavy dust still fearful of what the dam's collapse would mean for those trapped in the deep canyon when the slide blocked his path he turned off the road and drove up the north side of the canyon wall to a point where he couldn't get any more traction he then got his family out of the car and moved them to still higher ground later in the evening his family joined the osts and fredericks around the fire on the hillside about eight o'clock on the same gorgeous moonlit night of august seventeen the pearly bennett family of coeur d'alene idaho pulled their trailer off alongside the road on the flat at the mouth of the madison canyon gorge they didn't plan to set up camp just to rest for a few hours before continuing to the park they talked a bit with others camped in the same informal area then turned in pearly a forty-three-year-old truck driver and his wife irene slept in the trailer the youngsters carol seventeen philip fifteen tom ten and susan five stretched out in bedrolls outside on the ground they were awakened a little before midnight by a loud rumbling noise they wondered what it was but weren't concerned enough to get up or move their equipment some time later in response to a much louder noise bennett left the trailer to see about the children mrs bennett was right behind him as she stepped out of the trailer she felt a strong wind coming up there was a great rumbling whooshing sound and as the wind reached hurricane velocity she saw her husband grab a small tree for support the wind swept him off his feet he hung on like a flag tied to a mast after a little bit he let go and was blown away she never saw him again 
she couldn't see her children except one flying through the air a car was blown by rolling over and over and she found herself swept along with the trees the rocks and water when i came to she said i was jammed against a tree with a log on my back i don't know how i got out i thought i was the only one of my family still alive then over the awful moaning of the boulders grinding and crashing and the sound of the tree trunks howling through the air she heard the voice of her son philip calling slowly painfully in spite of crippling injuries they dragged an inch at a time toward one another over the rocky oozy bed of the river which the huge slide had instantaneously stopped highway patrolman stevens who found them several hours later noticed how torn their hands were from this agonizing crawl that morning in the hospital at ennis mrs bennett told reporters they say my husband and my boys are dead but i have faith i know they will be found they already had been dead end part one